man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. November 3 edition of the PFT PM Podcast. How are you? We've had an eventful day. This was one of those rare days where I actually went back and did the final hour of PFT Live during the re-air live again because the news came out of Ezekiel Elliott winning again, back and forth and back and forth, snip, snap, snip, snap, suspended, not suspended, suspended, not suspended. The wheel keeps spinning. From time to time, the wheel stops. And it seems like every time it stops, it stops on a different spot. First, he's suspended. Then he's not. Then he is. Then he isn't. Then he is. Then he isn't. Round and round we go, and the end result, for now, for now, Ezekiel Elliott is not suspended and will play on Sunday for the Cowboys against the team that used to be known as the Dallas Texans for a couple of years in the AFL. The Texans decided they couldn't compete with the Cowboys at the NFL. The Texans moved to Kansas City and became the Chiefs. So it's always special when those teams get together. It's a little more special for the Cowboys because they find out 48 hours beforehand they're getting Elliott back, but just for now. And here's... Here's the best way I can describe where this stands. Okay, what happened was judge in New York City on Monday night decided that Elliott should serve his suspension while the legal case regarding whether or not the suspension is valid is pending. So if he ultimately wins, it doesn't matter. He's he's served his suspension. He gets his money back after the fact, but he's served his suspension. So that was a huge development because you're going to serve the six games. The case isn't going to be resolved within the next six weeks. So the NFL Players Association said, we're going to take this to the next level, but we know we need to move quickly. And what it entailed was an appeal of the decision not to grant an injunction and also a motion to stay the injunction or stay the suspension rather while they appealed the decision not to give them the injunction. So step one, before they could even get to a motion to stop the suspension while they appeal the decision not to give the injunction, Once one of the judges had to take up what's called an administrative stay petition and granted the administrative stay so they can just hold everything in place until three judges can decide whether or not to allow Elliot to play while he appeals the decision not to give him an injunction. It's like It's like nine layers of hell trying to figure this out. So step one, one judge says, okay, we're freezing everything in place until next week when we can decide whether or not to freeze everything in place until we can take up the issue of whether or not the judge in New York should have frozen everything in place. So there's two more steps beyond this. A three-judge panel will grant or not grant the motion to block the suspension while they appeal the decision that was made last week. And then they'll take up in a separate matter an appeal of the decision last week. And after those two steps, there's nothing else for the rest of the season. That's it. That's the end of the tunnel. Unless, of course, and there's always an unless, of course, the NFL decides to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. But at some point, somebody's just got to say, okay, we accept what the courts have done here. And I don't fault the NFLPA for being aggressive because there was a big flaw in the decision from Monday night. The judge did not adequately address and did not accurately assess whether and to what extent Elliot will suffer irreparable harm by being suspended. And ultimately, if he wins the case, it is irreparable harm. There is no way to repair it. That's what it means. 
It's, uh, you know, you think, oh, that's irreparable, like you bust a vase and you can't put it back together again. What this is, there's no way to fix it later. There's no way to put him where he would have been if he'd won. For most of these cases, the idea is, well, you violated somebody's rights and you let it go through the court system. And then when it's all said and done, if it turns out that you did violate that person's rights, you pay him money. And that's how it works. But in certain situations, and this is one of them, sports, especially at a professional level, you're going to suspend a guy before he gets a chance to fight it. I mean, think of it this way. The NFL doesn't finalize the suspension until the player gets a chance to exhaust all internal appeals. Well, why in the hell would the NFL require the guy to serve the suspension if he has rights in the court system beyond the normal appeal process? Let's wait till it's done. And then when it's done, you serve the suspension. And it's not like Elliott's in the last year of his contract or the last year of his career. He's still going to be playing. It's just like Tom Brady. He served the four games in 2016. Elliott serves the six games in 2018. It's easy. And I know it's not easy to understand where it's all going, but trust me on this. Trust me. I know, I know a thing or two about this process. Two more steps. Three judges decide whether or not to block the suspension while they appeal the decision that was made last week. And then three judges decide whether to overturn or or affirm the decision that was made Monday night. And and the one issue that hasn't come up yet, and I don't know when it's going to come up, that connection from the judge to the law firm. Remember this one? The judge's husband is a partner in the firm that is the NFL's lockout CBA advisor. I don't know when that, that card is going to get played by the NFLPA in this process, but I get the feeling at some point they're going to flip that card. At some point they're going to cloud this proceeding with something that could cause a judge to say, well, why wasn't that disclosed? If, if the judge disclosed on her judicial questionnaire when she got the gig in the first place that she would recuse herself from any case where her husband's firm represents one of the parties, in a case like this, where the case is about the very document that her husband's firm got paid surely millions to help the NFL negotiate, how is that not something that gets disclosed? How do the parties not have an opportunity to file a motion to recuse the judge. Maybe the judge would deny it. Maybe the judge would decide it's too tenuous. But if it wasn't disclosed, that could be a problem. So remember that one. I don't think that one's going away. Another thing that's not going away, and I want to get through these initial topics because we've got an interview with Kareem Jackson. Of course, if you've clicked, clicked on the link for this, it's not a surprise because the link says Kareem Jackson. And Kareem Jackson, you're going to want to keep listening. Kareem Jackson tells a compelling story about what he witnessed on Thursday when Deshaun Watson went down for the year with a torn ACL. That's coming in a couple of minutes. Before that, some thoughts on the current state of the Colin Kaepernick collusion grievance. There was a report today from ESPN that, and, and it got a little bit bungled up by some in the media. I need to be clear on exactly what's going on. There has not yet been sworn testimony of Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft, and Bob McNair, but there will be. There will be sworn testimony of those three. And it was already clear that those three were going to get a ticket to the party. Last week, Gerges said that Bob McNair was going to be the first guy he asked for because he thinks the comment, we can't have the inmates running the prison, is a sign of basically institution, institutional collusion. That, that That's just the way they do things. This isn't 32 separate businesses doing whatever they want to do. They band together and they decide as a group what they're going to do, which helps prove that they decided expressly or implicitly, remember that, or implicitly, what they were going to do is to Kaepernick. Jerry Jones 
an obvious candidate because of his very strong pro standing for the anthem stance. And, uh, and, and here's the thing about Jerry. You get Jerry under oath, and Jerry's going to talk, and he's going to talk, and Jerry's going to think he's saying something that helps him, and he's not going to realize when he says that one little thing that kills him. Same thing with Jim Ursay. Now, his name hasn't been mentioned yet in reporting from Schefter of ESPN, but I suspect that Ursay is going to get a ticket as well because of this whole Andrew Luck thing. And why did they downplay the Andrew Luck situation? Why did they say in January he'd be ready to go for the start of the season? Why did they never admit before today that he won't be? Were they trying to avoid any type of pressure or questioning as to the possibility of signing Colin Kaepernick for the year. It's perfect. It's a one-year gig. Bring him in. Let him be the guy. Andrew Luck's not going to play. So I think Ursay is going to get a ticket. And I also think that Ursay, when he's sitting across the table, and, and I've had witnesses like this, and I've heard interviews of Jim Ursay. He was on Schefter's podcast, and it was, frankly, a mess. I mean, it's an easy podcast to do if you're the person hosting it. All you have to do is say, oh, so how are you today? And 15 minutes later, you ask the next question. And that is literally what happened. It was 14 minutes. I overstated it. 14 minutes. I timed it. I couldn't believe it. It was just one stream of thought into another. And 14 minutes later, Ursay stopped. And, and I think Schefter may have said, that's funny. Or, oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Or something. And then he kept going again. You get somebody like that under oath, great for you. Dangerous for them, great for you. And it drives you crazy as a lawyer, too. Because you want to get to the questions that you have spent a lot of time and effort compiling. And you know that if this is the way it's going to be, after every question, you're going to be here for a full week. And then the lawyers complain that you're taking too long with the deposition. It's like, oh, dude, I've asked five questions. Your client won't shut up. But see, you don't want to say that. you don't want to say that because the reality is, and it is, it, it becomes drudgery. You're picking through the transcript after the fact. You're paying attention. You're thinking of follow-up questions. But when you have a witness who just goes on and on and on, kind of like I am right now, you will eventually get something that you can use. So I would be surprised if they don't get Ursa as part of this list. And also, here's some news. I'm told that Mark Garagos has expanded the universe of search terms that will be used to harvest digital evidence. See, what they'll be doing, they'll be searching phones, email accounts, etc. for words like Colin and Kaepernick and Trump is going to be one of the words because the thinking is they were all collectively afraid of an angry tweet from the president. But it's a broader array of questions, of terms, than they previously were going to use. That means more documents falling within the, the parameters of those search terms, more text messages to review, but more opportunities to find the collusion needle in what could be a haystack of digital evidence. So this thing, look, we're three weeks removed from it being filed. If this were a lawsuit, the the defendant, the NFL, would still be in its window to make a written response to the initial charges. We're already moving into the discovery phase, and we're not even a month into this thing. So this case is moving. And I feel like the NFL has no idea how to get out of this one. And I feel like the NFL is going to wake up too late. Now is the time to make this go away. Yesterday was the time to call Bob McNair. If you're Roger Goodell and say, hey, Bob, how would you like to host the 2019 draft? Wouldn't that be great for Houston? Okay, here's what you do. You sign Colin Kaepernick now, and next May, we will announce that you're hosting the draft in 2019. Submit your plan, 
but we'll do it. We'll keep it in Texas for two straight years from Dallas to Houston. Do you want that? Do you want that? Okay, here's how you do it. You got to sign Kaepernick. And how bad would it be at this point to sign Kaepernick for the team? What kind of hits are they going to take? The Astros just won the World Series. The fan base is despondent after the loss of Deshaun Watson for the season. The team just wants to win. And the offense had evolved, revolved to suit the skills and abilities of Deshaun Watson. Now you're going to go back to the stone ages of Tom Savage and, and Matt McGloin and TJ Yates, who knows the offense they used to run before Bill O'Brien. They've got, he's got that offense down pat. Are you kidding me? This is an easy fix. And, and I'll tell you what. And I want to be careful in how I say this. But I think other owners either are or will be reluctantly agreeing with Jerry Jones that maybe they need to do something about this because you need a commissioner who's a deal maker. And I've made this point several times. This isn't anything revolutionary for me. But you, you, you tie the absence of a deal-making commissioner to the ongoing efforts of Jerry Jones. And it's obvious now that Jones is targeting the commissioner. And, and remember I said Jones needs to disavow the comments of John Schnatter, pizza mogul, John Schnatter of CEO of, CEO of Papa John's. Jerry Jones is on radio today and he did not disavow. He called John Schnatter a great American, and it was clear that Jerry Jones agrees with everything John Schnatter said. So there's another front that Jones has opened in this ongoing battle against the commissioner. And the best thing the commissioner could do right now is not hunker down, is not send out PR operatives to spin this into something it's not. The best thing he could do is demonstrate an ability to solve problems without having strict discipline as his only tool. I mentioned this earlier today on the, the re-air. When we did the re-air and I cut in for the, the Ezekiel Elliott hour after he got back in. This is like taking a parent from the 60s or the 70s who used corporal punishment as the, the common and routine method for disciplining a child because that was acceptable then. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, saying, you can't spank your kid anymore. Boom. That's it. That's no longer available to you. Okay, what do you do to discipline your child? What do you do to get your child to do what your child's supposed to do? What do you do to get your child to not talk back all the time? What do you do? Instantly and suddenly, it's gone. And, and, and obviously, it's a different context altogether. But we've got a commissioner who appeared on the cover of Time magazine under the label of the enforcer. He's been ruling with an iron fist for 11 years. And now, as it relates to the anthem controversy, the iron fist isn't going to work. And as it relates to Colin Kaepernick, nothing's working. It's time to make deals. It's time to show the owners you can make deals. And if you can't make deals, they may be inclined to consider a commissioner who can make deals. All right, let's make a deal. I'm going to play right now the interview of Kareem Jackson. And when we return, a, a quick and expedited preview of week nine of the 2017 season, the Sunday games. Before that, though, joining me now a guy who's been a cornerstone of the Texans franchise since he joined the team back in 2010 as a first-round draft pick. He's cornerback Kareem Jackson. And Kareem, when we scheduled this, you know, I had ideas about all sorts of different things we could discuss about a playoff run and how dynamic the offense is. And my goodness, my, my I know for me, and I've got no connection to the team, I was sick to my stomach yesterday when I saw what had happened to Deshaun Watson. What was the reaction within the locker room after Deshaun suffered the ACL injury? Uh... I mean, definitely a tough time for us all, you know, um, being as Deshaun is, is, I mean, he's been our leader, you know, um, at such a young age, you know, he's came in into this game, into this league and made such a huge impact, you know, and, and been a great leader for for our team and, 
on and off the field, you know. So um, for for what to happen yesterday and you know in practice, non-contact, man, it, it was it was definitely a devastating blow for us as a team. What was it that actually happened? I, I saw somewhere it was a read option play. Was it that? Was it a running play? Did you see how the injury occurred? Yeah, um, just just a your normal read option, and he kind of kept it, and he was just, just kind of running. I mean, he wasn't uh, 100% full speed. He just kind of, you know, uh, tried, and then, I mean, he kind of went down, and we, we didn't think nothing of it because it didn't look serious, you know. But, you know, you know, for your quarterback to go down, everybody kind of, you know, hesitate, you know, to see it. Make sure he's all right. And he kind of got up. He smiled, his usual smile on his face, so everybody kind of thought everything was okay, but. I mean, like it, it was definitely unfortunate. So this wasn't like the the violent jump cut that we saw from Dalvin Cook when his ACL went a couple of weeks ago during a game. This was just a routine read option, running down the field, like you said, not full speed, and then boom, it just happens. It just just happened. It, no jump cut, no nothing. Just it just happened. This happened. One of those. Just one of those. Freak accidents. It, it, it just happened. Well, and you said he got up smiling. How long after that until people realized that it was more than just a, a little bump in the road? Uh, like I say, I mean, he, he got right up and he, you know, he was kind of in the back and the trainers and stuff were checking on him and he didn't finish practice. So we just think, just thought that you know, just taking you know all the precautions that they had to take, you know, and went in and. I guess he was on the way to get the MRI and stuff then. But, I mean, shortly after that, you know, everybody kind of found out the news. I mean, it's it, it just just the game we play, man. It's, you have one guy out there with you, you know, leading the team. And, you know, on Sundays he's doing some great things. And the next thing you know, man, it, it, it happens just that fast. But, Kareem, you had to think somebody was pulling your leg when they told you Deshaun Watson has a torn ACL. But because I saw how it happened – I, I I was like, man, it's got to be a joke because it 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 was it was nothing at all. It it was just just kind of trodden and he just kind of went down. And and even when he went down, I mean, nobody thought anything of it, you know, especially once he got up. So I mean, it, it, like I said, it's definitely unfortunate. You guys have been through plenty of adversity this year. How do you get through this specific bout of adversity? Um, the only way. I think we'll get through it. You know, we just got to come together as a team, you know, continue to stay together as a team. We know uh, we got to rally behind, you know, Tom, you know, uh, Tom played a lot of, a lot of snaps in this league. You know, he, he's won some games for us. So we'll definitely, we'll rally behind Tom. We'll pull together as a team and we'll, we'll go out each and every Sunday, each and every day and continue to fight like we've been doing. How big of an adjustment do you think is it going to be? And I think this is more for the offense, but you see it in practice. You saw how the offense changed over a six, seven-week period with Deshaun Watson, and now it flips back to the way it was with Tom Savage. How much of a challenge do you think that will be for the team to make that adjustment quickly back to the way it was? Um, I mean, change is always challenging. You know, um, I think the teams that, you know, end up getting into the playoffs and making the run in the playoffs are the teams that, you know, handle, handle adversity, handle change well. So, um we we would like to think that we're one of those teams. So um, 
Um, it's just some guys, you know, on each side of the ball. We just gotta, you know, pick up, pick up our play, you know, and go out and make some more plays, and you know, just, just try to take some of the pressure off of some, off of Tom. You know, um, we we know what he's capable of when he's com- when he's comfortable. So, nah, Coach O'Brien, you know, definitely do a great job of you know putting him in some great situations. You know, as he's been doing all year with Deshaun. So, um, we, we we just gotta, like I say, just gotta pull together as a team, and you know, and, and overcome his adversity together. It is amazing, though. You mentioned the performance in Seattle. I, I was astounded by how well the offense played in that environment against that team. And I thought, hey, if you can score 38 points in Seattle, you score 50 as the season continues to unfold against a normal defense in a normal environment. And and now, I, you know, the team had been known for stout defense, and then it was swinging to dynamic offense. And now, right, this puts more pressure on the defense to really carry the load and carry the team and create scoring opportunities because the offense isn't going to be cutting through defenses the way it was. All right. Um, I mean, it just we we know we capable of on the defensive side. You know, what I mean? if it's something where we have to go out and make one or two more plays and, and cause some turnovers, and like I said, everybody just got to pick up their play. Um, we just got everybody has to take it to another level. You know. Um, it only help us as a team, like I say, um, take some of the pressure off of Tom. That way he can go in and, you know, just perform the way he know he can perform, the way we know he can perform. So, um, I mean, and like I said, in adversity, guys just have to, you know, pick up a uh, pick up a bigger piece of the pie and, and, and do a little bit extra. So, um, I mean, we, we have the guys in our locker room that, that can do it. So, you know, I definitely look forward to it. And, you know, it, it'll definitely be – you know, a, a great task for our team, but, you know, I think we can do it. Hey, Kareem, you guys are one week removed from one of the craziest in-season stories that I've experienced with the comments from your owner that came to light last Friday. The the issues that arose at practice, you had a couple of guys leave, you had team meetings about it, there was a demonstration on Sunday. And since then, from my perspective, it, it feels like it's kind of died down quickly. Within the locker room, where does all that currently stand? Any frustration, confusion, acrimony directed toward the owner for his comment about we can't have the inmates running the prison? Um, for us as a team, we just want to move past that. You know, um, We can't let that linger in the locker room and, and, and guys continue to, you know, um, I mean, some guys may be upset still about it, but I haven't I haven't got any indication, you know, from any of the guys. You know, um, uh, for us, we think we have a bigger task at hand, and that's going out uh, on Sundays and, and winning games. You know, um, that's the least of our problems right now. We have to continue to go out and and, and do everything we can, take every step possible to, to be successful on Sundays. You know, and at the end of the day, we feel like we we're playing for each other. We're not playing for. Um, whoever it may be. We we're playing for each other, um, um every guy in that locker room uh, and you know, as long as we all on the same page, as long as we you know, we can look each other in the in in the in the eyes and hold each other accountable, you know, um that that's the only thing that matters to us. We regardless of what anybody else says, we we're we're not worried about that. So, you know, for us we just wanted to move past that and go out and play football. For you personally, scale of one to ten, how how upset were you when you heard about the comment? <laughs> Oh man, I mean honestly, I I really don't want to get into that. You know, like you said, that was last week. You know, and um, I really don't want to continue to harp on that in in that situation. You know, um, I'm I'm quite sure you can imagine how upset the guys were. You know, and and myself as well. So, 
you know, but like I said, I just, just want to move past that. We'll kind of talk in the locker room in the aftermath of Deshaun's injury about a quarterback who's out there whose skill set is a lot more similar to Deshaun Watson's than Tom Savage's skill set is. And you know who I'm talking about. Um, and Do you know who I'm talking about? Honestly, that, that yeah, that, that really hasn't been a topic either. You know, um, I mean, with, with just one day removed from, you know, the thing, what happened to Deshaun. So, you know, we're not really thinking about, you know, who we should have brought in, uh, what other guy, you know, they should have signed, uh, you know, and, and the guy that you're talking about. But um, for us, like I said, man, we 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 think we have the guy, you know, that can definitely go out and, and, and help us win games. So we're going to rally behind him. And how much does it help, Kareem? And this is the last one I'll let you run. That you guys are in a division that, that is still wide open. It's still there. Everything you guys have set out to do, you can still do because it's not like the Jaguars or the Titans are running away with this thing. Definitely, definitely. Um, that's that's our main focus. You know, um, for us, we we our main focus is to win the division. You know, um, and, and and we feel like we're in a situation where we can. You know, like you said, you know, uh, neither team is running away with it. So you know, we we think we're in a great spot right now, and and, and it starts this Sunday. Well, Kareem, I wish you all the best. Appreciate some of your time. I know I know it's been a tough day, and, and I frankly would have expected, because we had this set before Deshaun had his injury, and I respect you for going through with it, because you knew what the topics were going to be, and it, it sure changes uh, the agenda dramatically after, after what happened to Deshaun, and, and it did make me physically ill when I saw it, and I can't imagine what it meant to you guys, and I wish you all the best as you go forward. I definitely appreciate it. Thank, thanks for having me on. Okay, thanks again to Kareem Jackson of the Houston Texans. As I said to him, I, I would have not been surprised if he had canceled the interview. We set it up before Deshaun Jackson tore his ACL, and I have tremendous respect for Kareem going through with it, knowing it was going to be the dominant topic, knowing that there were going to be other issues that came up that he'd probably rather not talk about, but he did, and he didn't have to. This isn't a mandatory media obligation. He didn't have to do it. So thank you, Kareem Jackson, for your time and your candor and your willingness to address issues that you probably would rather not have been wrestling with. And on Sunday, the Texans will be wrestling with the Colts. Here's the Week 9 preview. Colts at Texans, 2-6 and six versus 3-4. and four. I would have expected a blowout before the injury to Deshaun Watson, and now who knows what's going to happen. Who knows whether or not the Texans can process this adversity and get it together and get it going quickly. Tom Savage gets the start. T.J. Yates is the backup. Jacoby Brissett for the Colts. The Colts have to think, hey, we've got an opportunity now. We were going to get blown off the field. We have an opportunity to catch them wobbly and maybe get our third win. And maybe we can pull. Now that we know that Andrew Luck is not walking through that door to save the season, maybe we can pull together and try to win games and get back into a division race that is led by a couple of four and three teams right now. And neither of those teams, the Titans nor the Jaguars, have shown the kind of consistency that makes you think they're going to run away with it. So this is a chance for the Colts. I've officially picked the Texans, but that was as of Thursday morning, and the world has changed since Thursday morning. I don't know that I would change my pick now. I don't want to weasel on this one. I'll stick with the Texans. I'll stick with it. Because I look at how the Texans came together last week after the Bob McNair comments and put up 38 in Seattle. I think they'll find a way to win this one. Speaking of the Jaguars, they host the Bengals. And with the Jaguars, great week, bad week, great week, bad week. Back and forth they went through the first seven weeks of the season. Last week was the bye. Maybe that counts as the bad week. They didn't play, so they couldn't lose. So this week, another good week. They get the five and three. 
It all depends on whether or not that defense shows up in a big way. And maturity has been the issue. Calais Campbell told me that several weeks ago. Young team that needs to mature. Young team that needs to have more consistency. And it has to drive Coach Doug Marone crazy. Because he sees what they can do. Oh, and think about Tom Coughlin. Look at what these guys are doing. Weeks 1, 3, 5, and 7. What the hell's going on week 2, 4, and 6? And the Bengals are getting closer and closer to the point where it's like, yeah, this isn't their year. Eh, this isn't their year. And they barely beat the Colts. That was ugly. Colts are bad, and they barely beat them. Bengals have not been an inspiring team this year, so I like the Jaguars in that one. Buccaneers and Saints. Now, if if you had told me, or if I had told you before the season, that when the Bucs and Saints get together week nine, one team will be 5-2 and two and the other will be 2-5, and five, I'd have bet the farm on the Bucs being 5-2 and two and the Saints being 2-5, and five, and we know that's not the case. Five straight wins for the Saints, and the Buccaneers in the process of falling apart. Jameis Winston's shoulder is apparently getting better. I don't know if he's just trying to will his way through it or what. On PFT Live this week, we had a package of plays that Chris Sims showed how Jameis Winston and Deshaun Jackson are just not connecting, which is not good. Frustrations will build. Pressure will build. Urgency will build because the coach of the team, Dirk Cutter, knows that if you don't deliver when there's expectations, and this year there were expectations, ownership starts looking for the next coach of the team. And they may already be looking. I know the fans are looking at John Gruden, who will be there next month on Monday Night Football to enter the team's ring of honor. And if it's 24-3 to at halftime of that game and the Bucks are losing, I hope they don't go back to the studio in Bristol. I hope they, they, they can hold Scott Van Pelt until after the game, please. Let's keep the cameras and the microphones in Tampa Bay for the reaction to the Buccaneers as they leave the field and John Gruden as he enters the field to join the franchise's ring of honor. Rams-Giants. Look, the Giants had the other L.A. team, the Chargers, in there earlier this year with Odell Beckham Jr. and Brandon Marshall when the game began and the Chargers won. The Rams are better than the Chargers. This is high-level analysis. This is, this is what you pay for when you listen to a free podcast. Let's see. The Chargers beat the Giants. The Rams are better than the Chargers, so the Rams beat the Giants. But I, I look at this and I say... Now, unless, and, and here's the real parallel. This is next level. At MetLife Stadium on Thursday night, we had kind of a similar matchup, even though it wasn't a, a game between teams from different divisions. The Bills and the Rams, kind of similar in how they're surprising. They're overachieving. They've had a couple of potholes where you wonder, are they as good as maybe those five wins suggest? Going into MetLife Stadium against a team they should have beaten, the Bills didn't get it done. You know, And, and I tell you what, if I'm Sean McVay, the coach of the Rams... I start showing at team meetings between now and Sunday clips from that game. Look, the Bills were us Thursday night, and the Jets were the Giants. And here's what happens if you don't go out there determined to win each and every game. Here's what happens if you don't exert the appropriate physical force at the line of scrimmage, offensively or defensively. No matter how good you think you are, you will lose. Because every other team in the NFL is good enough to beat you if you just assume all you have to do is show up, except for the Browns and and the 49ers uh, and maybe the Giants. Well, we'll find out. We'll find out if the Giants fit that category, if the Rams show up thinking all they have to do is show up. Falcons and Panthers get together. And you know what? This is almost a flip of the coin for me. And I pick the Panthers because they're at home. I, I can't trust either of these teams. You don't know what you're getting one week to the next. I can't remember a year like this. Maybe I'm just getting old and I can't remember things, but where there were so many teams, the Texans to a certain extent, the Jaguars, the Falcons, the Panthers, the Broncos, the Ravens, the Titans, 
How many of these teams, Washington, the Cowboys, the Raiders, the Dolphins, how many of these teams is it like Jekyll and Hyde? Like any given week, I don't know. Who's going to win? I don't know. I think I knew. I'd like to think that I know what's going on. This is the kind of season that drives people in the media crazy. Because if we're being candid and fans ask us, hey, what do you think is going to happen? Well, what the hell are we listening to you for? So, I, I, I will go Panthers in this one. I, I, I'm concerned that the Kelvin Benjamin trade may have some ripple effects, but hopefully it, it gives guys a little kick in the butt. I get the feeling maybe there's more going on than meets the eye there, but you know maybe that's something that comes out in a few years when people have moved to different teams and somebody talks to somebody anonymously and whatever the case may be. Maybe the next time the Panthers and the Bills get ready to play and if Benjamin's still with Buffalo and Cam Newton's still with Carolina, maybe that'll be a storyline four years from now. They've already played this year. I think by four years... Uh, there'll be plenty of other changes for both teams, and, and it may be moot by then. Or mute, as Chris Sims would say. Hi, Chris. Mute point. We had some fun with that this week. I, 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 Chris and I are having a good time. Uh, 6 to 9 a.m. weekdays. He's on 7 to 9, three days a week. We're on NBCSN. Broncos-Eagles, Brock Osweiler starting again for the Broncos. And this is another one of those, can the Eagles stay focused and beat a team that they should beat? And and isn't it sad that the Broncos have gone from 3-1 and one to a team that should be beaten if the superior team takes its work seriously. Doug Peterson, the coach of the Eagles, told me last week on PFT Live that as they were getting ready to play the 49ers, it's on him. And it really is on the coach to press the buttons and make sure the preparation is there, the attitude is there, the complacency is not there. Same thing for the Eagles this week. I, I, Brock Osweiler is not going to come out and light it up. He's not. I, unless the, the Browns really are clueless and they cut a guy that really is good enough to be their starter and should have been their starter. Because Kevin Kevin Hogan, Cody Kessler, and Deshaun Kaiser, and no room at the end for Brock Osweiler, who's now starting. And if I'm the Broncos, or if I'm a fan of the Broncos, I'm starting to wonder whether Paxton Lynch is this year's Christian Hackenberg, where we're never going to see the guy. Ravens and Titans. A couple of inconsistent teams. I don't know what's going to happen. I think the Titans win. It's a home game for Tennessee. They've had a little extra rest, but you know what? So have the Ravens. They played on Thursday of last week, and they look great, but the Ravens have been so back and forth. And if the Titans can run the ball, before the game against the Dolphins, the Ravens had done a very poor job of stopping the run. And I think that's what the Titans need to do. Sustain drives early. Don't give the Ravens a chance to start building a lead. I think that's the key. You've got to deliver a knockout punch early to the Ravens. You cannot let them start to build a lead. You cannot let them develop a sense that this is their day. Because for a team like this, for these inconsistent teams, what happens the first quarter, quarter and a half, I think dictates the rest of the day. You get off to a big start and you know how to roll. You get behind and you can't, you feel like, well, this is this is one of those weeks where we suck. Oh, well, maybe next week we won't, but this week we do. And there's a certain collective resignation to the fact that when you're down 10, 14, 17, that... We'll get them next week. It's been we'll get them next week, every week for the 49ers. 0-8, the Cardinals come into town without Carson Palmer. Drew Stanton's playing quarterback. Adrian Peterson in his third game with the team. He was great the first week. He was not great in the London game where they were just splattered by the Rams. And this is one of the few remaining opportunities for the 49ers to win a game. And, and look, it's not like they're going to fire anybody. Kyle Shanahan will be the coach next year. John Lynch will be the GM. They both have six-year contracts fully guaranteed with no offsets. They're trying to get away from this sense that they clean house too quickly. But I'm looking at the remaining schedule. Well, actually, 
they've got two opportunities to win. And they may be the last two opportunities to win. They have the Cardinals and then next week the Giants. And if they lose these next two games, 0-10 at the bye, Seattle at Chicago at Houston, maybe a chance to win depending upon what's going on with the quarterback position, Tennessee, Jacksonville, and at the Rams. I still think they'll get some wins. I think they'll get at least two, maybe three. But this is one of the last clear chances on the schedule. And for the Cardinals, this is one of the last clear chances to pull themselves into the playoff race. They lose this when they're just done. And then Bruce Arians has to worry about getting retired, air quotes, retired six years after he was retired by the Steelers. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's an intriguing speculation slash theory that Arians could unretire again with the Colts, this time as the head coach, and Arians and Andrew Luck together again in 2018. Washington and Seattle. I, I, I continue to believe Seattle is going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. They're going to get better and better every week. Their offense is too good. They put up 41 points last week. They score when they need to. It's all Russell Wilson. It's all Russell Wilson. And I just don't think Washington is good enough to hang with them. Period. And, and maybe after getting a taste of the Seahawks, maybe Kirk Cousins will have no interest whatsoever in signing with an NFC West team. Chiefs-Cowboys, as previously mentioned, the Dallas Texans versus the Dallas Cowboys. Chiefs back in town, a special game. Cowboys have had double-digit leads in each of their last two home games, and they lost to the Rams and then to the Packers. The Chiefs have a compelling and diverse offense. It wasn't as great on Monday night against a great Denver defense. But this is not the Denver defense. This is the Cowboys defense, which isn't nearly as good as it was last year. But with Ezekiel Elliott back. Now, I, I, I think I picked the Chiefs to win this one. I think I did. Assuming that they wouldn't have Ezekiel Elliott. And I'm not going to weasel. Because they had Elliott and they lost to the Rams at home. And they had Elliott and they lost to the Packers at home. And they're a 4-3 and three team and they've had Elliott all season long. Without Elliott, I think they have no chance of making the playoffs. With Elliott, maybe they can scratch and claw a wild card berth. Although, I will say this, and this isn't just to promote the Sunday night game that's coming up in a couple of weeks, the Eagles and the Cowboys, but they're two games behind, two lost, two games in the loss column behind the Eagles. And it is November 19, Sunday night, NBC. They host the Eagles. And then week 17, they're at Philadelphia. If they sweep the Eagles, they just have to match their record and they win the division. So they still have some chances to, to do something about this. Raiders, Dolphins, Sunday Night Football. We'll wrap up there. Two teams that I think are desperate now. Desperate to avoid a sense that this just is not their year. This just is not their time. Offense is underachieving. Jay Cutler back for the Dolphins. And Jay Ajayi out. And apparently that got the attention of the remaining Dolphins. We'll see if it did. Because they'll be expected to win. They announced this week they're going to increase their season tickets. They announced after losing 40 to nothing on the road that they're going to increase their season ticket prices by 6 to 7%. The fans are going to expect to see something on Sunday night. They're going to expect some points, and you're going to hear from them. The only thing that they're not going to do is say bench Jay Cutler because they saw what the alternative is. But they'll let the team know it if they're not getting it done in prime time. And this is an opportunity for the Dolphins to rectify what we saw from them a week and a half ago. And it's also an opportunity for the Raiders to show that what they did on the prior Thursday night against the Chiefs was not a fluke, was not a one-time thing. This show is not a one-time thing. We do it at least four times a week. This week, we did it five, and I enjoy every minute of it. And hopefully you did too, as I say every day, if you listen every day, and if you listen this long every day. If you're still listening, you like it. So subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, 
and uh, keep listening. We'll do our best to continue to make it interesting and compelling and uh, informative. That's the other word I was looking for. (laughs) For more information about everything happening in the NFL, go to profootballtalk.com. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. We'll do this again on Monday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.